0: And Helen is going to read this week's passage for us.
1: Good morning, everybody. Before we read the scripture, um, will you join me in prayer? Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, Seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading today comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Thanks, Helen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open, if you would. <clears throat> well, I have the tremendous privilege of unpacking and, and showing off this treasure of a package we're in, in today. Um, first of all, though, I'm curious, how many of you have watched Pawn Stars? Anybody fans of that? I, well, Larry and I went through a season of our life where we uh, like to watch this show. If you haven't seen it before, uh, these guys up on the screen own this pawn shop in Las Vegas. Uh, where people will come with their something they have that they 're trying to sell and make some money, and, and so they 'll bring in things like you know a pack of postcards that have all been signed by celebrities or some old coins or an antique vase and, and the question will always be like, "What do you want to do with it? We want to sell it okay, how much do you want to get for it and they 'll say, "Well, a few hundred dollars or a thousand bucks, something like that and uh, usually if it 's something unique, which is the stories they kind of key in on. They're they're interesting things that people bring in, and so the the guys at the pawn shop will often say, "Do you mind if I bring in an expert to help us determine the value of this thing, estimate the worth?" And so they bring in this person, and sometimes the 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 person trying to sell their stuff is disappointed because it turns out that the you know the signatures of the celebrities are are just counterfeits, or the the, the coins are old but they're not worth very much or you know the the vase is just a cheap knockoff after all but other times the the person who brings in their thing to sell doesn't realize how valuable the thing is that they actually have so the the you know the, the signatures are not only authentic but they're also very rare or the coins are are not only old but they're you know in high demand among collectors The vase is so valuable, you know, it can't even be called a vase. It's a vase, you know, it's been owned by royalty somewhere and it's just worth so much money. Well, in today's passage, it's as if Paul is one of these experts brought in to evaluate and show what the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ is. Just how valuable it is. Just what inestimable worth it is, uh, it contains. So I, I feel a little bit like I'm coming to this passage, a little fear and trembling because it's so amazing. And I want to do justice to how, how just stupendous is the gospel of Christ. But let's, let's look at it together. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. When Paul says, uh, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And some commentators said, these are like the theme verses of Colossians. They neatly summarize the whole content of the letter. In other words, uh, you know, what you confess with your mouth, let your conduct match that what, what comes out of our lips. Uh, let that be matched by what comes from our lives. Um, now, mostly he's, when he's talking here about receiving Christ, he's not envisioning them like walking down the aisle, you know, for an altar call. He's saying they received the message that was transmitted to them, this message, and they accepted it. And, and when you hear the gospel of Christ, you can either accept it, receive it, or you can reject it, but you can't be neutral about it. And he's saying you received it. And now you're growing in it. Look at the the words he uses to describe them. They've they've been rooted in Christ. Their roots are going down into him. They're being built up in him. So this foundation that was laid of Jesus, now God's building them in Christ. They're established or or strengthened in the faith as they were were taught this gospel. And now Paul's praying that they would be rooted and firmed up in that truth. And then he says also that he, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. The first three of those rooted, built up, established are all things that God does in us. The, but the last one is, is in an active voice. It's, it's something that we are to be abounding in gratitude. That's the proper response to the grace of God. Uh, one of the the most profound scholars of of the 20th century, a, the, a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth, drew the connection well between God's grace and the proper response of our gratitude. He pointed to the uh, the the Greek words for these are actually very connected. Grace is charis, and thanksgiving is eucharistia. And so Bart put it like this: He said, "Charis, grace, always demands the answer." of Eucharistia, Thanksgiving. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder, lightning. So you've, most of us, I'm sure, have been in a canyon before and said, echo, 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 right? That, that, that voice of the echo just resounds after that initial voice. Or we've looked up in the sky and seen that flash of lightning. And we know whether it's going to be one second later or four seconds later. Inevitably, there's going to be that boom of the thunder. His point is that when we hear, when we receive this message of this incredible grace that we've been given in Christ. There, there'll be an inevitable Boom of thanksgiving that will come out of this. And I'm hoping that I can uh, move as quickly as I can through this passage and, and leave us room at the end for some of you to finish my sermon, to respond with gratitude for all that God has done for us in Christ. Now, when we get to verse eight, look at verse eight again here. Paul gives a word of warning. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. So again, like one of these expert uh, evaluators brought into the pawn shop, sometimes they want to show what is the, the fake thing and how this thing that they have either is fake too or does not uh, measure up to the fake. And Paul is setting this counterfeit gospel before them so that they can see uh, the problems with it. Now, Paul's concern here is not with philosophy in general. If you're a college student taking philosophy, majoring in philosophy, that's great. It's The love of wisdom, right? We, that's a good thing. But what Paul is talking about here is a kind of religious or philosophical worldview that belittles the sovereignty and the sufficiency of Jesus. Most likely, what was going on was that, that there was a, a danger that they were facing by, again, false teachers coming into the church. And, and proposing that they had some advanced teaching on, on Christian faith that went beyond what Paul and his friends had had offered to them. Most likely, as we're going to see, this had something to do with circumcision. And this may have been a teaching that, that claimed to grant them freedom from spiritual powers that were associated with the moon and the stars that were thought to govern uh, the dealings of men and women on earth. But... Nevertheless, what I want you to see here is Paul wants them to know that the gospel that they had received about Jesus is the word of truth. And this, this other teaching is just deception. It's empty. It's hollow. Christ rescues and liberates hostages. This other teaching, well, it takes the gullible host- uh, captive and it makes them slaves of error. So he warns them against this. And now what he's going to do is, again, get out this treasure that the Colossians have been given. And like a a diamond, he's going to hold it up and just show us the different facets of what makes the gospel of God's grace in Christ so amazing. So here we go. Verses 9 and 10. Paul wants us to see that in uh, in this gospel, we have fullness in Christ. Look at it with me. Uh, Verses 9 and 10. He says, in him, in Christ... The wholefulness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him in Christ, who is the head of all rule and all authority. So, again, whereas the the empty teaching of uh, the these in people making inroads into Colossian church, it's just hollow. Christ is the one who brings us the fullness of God. God has not held back anything when he sent us his son. As we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter one, this here we have a clear and powerful statement of Jesus' divinity. But get this, not just his divinity, for in, in the Greco-Roman way of thinking, there were all levels and kinds of divine beings. Paul wants them to see that that Jesus is not just one of those divine beings. In him, the whole fullness of the one God dwells bodily. Wow. Not only that, but in him, we have been filled as well. So we have all that we need in Christ. We don't need to look anywhere else. Now, I don't know if they still sell this kind of uh, cereal anymore, but remember that cereal called Total? And uh, some of you older people remember Total. It's like 100% of all these vitamins and minerals that you need. One bowl for the day. You don't have to take all these extra supplements to get the iron that you need or the vitamin C or D or B57 or whatever they have. But one bowl gives you 100% of all this stuff. Paul wants us to see that Christ is the total package. He gives us 100% of all that we need spiritually to make us right with God. He brings us all of God to us. He brings us full salvation. There's no need to supplement Christ with anything else. This is why Christians reject things like astrology. We don't need to look to things. You know tarot cards or reading of this or that to help us understand the world that we live in. We have the wisdom of God in his Son. This is why we reject that there are different levels of Christians as if there were a thing called spirit filled Christians who do this and that, and not spirit filled Christians. no no, no, no. when you come to christ you 've been filled with his spirit, and we believe that that God has given us. All that we need to to live and to grow in him. Now, this is not to say that there is not growth that can still happen. Again, remember our, our roots are going down into Christ and they need to continue to grow. And this building that's being built upon the foundation of Christ needs to continue to grow up. But the point here Paul is making is that, again, Jesus is the fullness of God. And everything we need is found in fellowship with him. And that's where he goes next, that that we have fullness in Christ and we have fellowship with Christ. Now, I want to give you a little warning here. This is where things get a little technical. Are you ready to do some mental heavy lifting with me? Anybody ready to geek out on a little Bible translation stuff with me? Okay, I like this stuff. Paul here is going to talk about circumcision. He says circumcised three times. Uh, circumcision, if you remember, was the, uh, the mark of the old covenant with God made with the Jews, where a little piece of a man's skin was taken off to symbolize that, that the whole man, the whole person, uh, was, was in now a covenant relationship with God, that that this man and his family were part of God's covenant family. They were insiders. They were brought near to God. And it's probable that some of these false teachers had come into the church and said, yeah, what you've been taught is is great and all. But if you really want the full teaching, you're going to need to be circumcised. And you're going to need to do this, that, and the other. And so Paul tells them, look at verse 11. He says, in him, you were also circumcised. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. This is uh, the ESV. And uh, if you're reading a New International or New Living or something else, just look at this for a moment. When, uh, when Bible translators are deciding how to translate, they have to make some tough decisions. Right, Sandy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have to decide whether to translate things more literally or maybe to make it more accessible to what the meaning was for the modern day. The ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, is, is uh, chosen a more literal translation so paul says in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of christ now a lot of different questions come up here but get the main point they don't need these gentile Christians who have not come from a Jewish background. Paul wants them to know that they don't need to be ba- uh, circumcised physically, these men, uh, because they have already quote unquote been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What's he talking about? Well, he tells us in Romans two that uh, he says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nowhere is circumcision for us nearly outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision, get this, he kind of redefines this here, is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So he's talking about something inward here when he tells us that we were circumcised. Then he says, by a putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So here's, here's the heaviest part of our lifting. What does he mean by the body of flesh on one hand? And what does he mean by the circumcision of Christ? Now, if you have a new international version in your lap or the uh, new living translation, you'll see that those translators made some interpretive decisions for us. So the NIV says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Uh, Similarly, the new living translation, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. So the circumcision of Christ here they're saying is the circumcision done by Christ and the body of flesh they're interpreting as the whole self ruled by the flesh or your sinful nature. And that's one way to understand this passage. But I think a better way to understand this passage is to understand the, the, uh, the circumcision of Christ, like David Garland here puts it. He says the circumcision of Christ is a graphic metaphor. It refers to the circumcision that Christ underwent when his physical body, his physical body, was violently stripped away in his death. So in this tra- interpretation, it's not the, sinf- the body of flesh is not our sinful nature, but it's Christ's physical body. And the circumcision is not done to us. It was the death inflicted on him. The statement then that we're looking at parallels what Paul said in the last chapter of Colossians. Where he said, in you, Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh. That's the same phrase referring to his body, physical body, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay, you made it through. All the trans, you know, shake it out there. (laughs) Uh, Question, why does all this matter? Why get into all this? I think Paul wants us to see. uh, He wants these people to see. He wants us to know that their faith in the Lord Jesus that was symbolized in their baptism, something that's already been, uh, they've gone through is the only thing that they need to enter into the fullness of life with God, a life with no barriers between us and God anymore. Have you ever had a relationship in your life where you found you you felt like you had to constantly measure up, you had to earn their love or approval or affection. Paul wants us to know, and the Colossians back then to know that's, that's all been done away with by virtue of, of Christ's death and resurrection and our union with him that was that we see here in baptism. We were buried with him in baptism and you were raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God that we have perfect fellowship with Christ and therefore we don't need to fear anything in, in light of God's judgment anymore. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen, amen. okay. Well, what this means is that there's no difference between the Christian who lives in Gaza and, and the Palestinian there and the, the Jewish Christian who lives in Jerusalem. Both of them can say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am part of the inside group. I've been brought near to God. And that is good news indeed. There are no stepchildren in the family of God. All right. The last thing is probably the best part of all, though. He says, we have fullness... In Christ, we have fellowship with Christ and we have freedom through Christ. We look at it with me. Verse 13, Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Again, he's saying you Gentile Christians weren't circumcised in your flesh. And at the same time, you were dead in your sins. And that's where all of us are before we come to Christ. We are dead in our sins. Just think about that for a moment. What does a dead person do in their relationship with God? Nothing. They are completely unresponsive. They're blind to the glory of God. They don't respond in obedience and praise. And that's where we are before we come to God in Christ. But he says, you who were dead, God did three things for us. The first one, God made us alive together With Christ. That's why we talk about Christians as people who are born again. Friends, there's no other kind of Christian. We were dead and we were made alive in Christ. So if you're a Christian, you are a born again one. We all need spiritual life that only God can give. And and Paul says, This is the gospel. You received the gospel of grace and it brought new life in you. More than that, look at, let's keep going. God forgave us all our trespasses and our sins. The vivid picture that he draws next is just astounding. Look at it again. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside or he wiped away, nailing it to the cross. Wow. What he's talking about here is that, that this this word for record of debt in the Greek is kind of like an IOU statement of what we owe God by virtue of our sin against him. Now, some of you have debt in this room. I have debt in my life. Uh, we have a mortgage. So we owe the bank. And some of you have big student loans that you're sitting under. And it's like this IOU that you can't feel like you can't get out of. Or massive credit card debt. This is weighing you down. How am I ever going to pay this off? Friends, all of us in this room, even if you are financially free in this room right now, we come to God with a mountain of debt that we could never pay off. But Paul here says that, that record of debt, that I owe you for what you owe God, this he took and he nailed it to the cross of Christ. He wiped it away He said, "This is canceled. You don't owe a thing anymore." What he's probably doing is he's envisioning that sign that was tacked to the, the cross of Christ at the very top. You remember what it said? King of the Jews. Why did they tack King of the Jews there? The Romans didn't believe he was the King of the Jews. They thought he was a poser. What it was they were saying was, "This is why we're crucifying this guy because he was a rebel." He was claiming what only Caesar should have been able to claim, that he was the Lord, that he was the true king. And people who do that kind of thing get nailed to a cross. Now, what what is our debt? Are the, the charges against us? Get this. This is so awesome. When we look at the cross of Christ, it's, it's as if we see a sign up here that says... Mike's selfishness, his lust, his love of comfort more than his love of neighbor. And God took those charges and he nailed it to the cross and Christ paid for that completely. So that when God looks at me, he no longer sees my selfishness, my lust, my comfort, loving, you know, sinful self. He sees Christ's righteousness. This is so good. So it gets even better than that. Because God can deal with the penalty of sin, but what about if the power of sin still exists? That's what he deals with next. Look at verse 15. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Now, the word to disarm those rulers and authorities that, that were enemies of Christ and enemies of ours... That word disarmed literally means stripped naked. They were stripped and they were put to open shame. They were made a public spectacle of. Now think about this for a moment. Christ himself was stripped. He was beaten. He was made a public spectacle of. And what Paul is doing here is wonderful irony. N.T. Wright puts it like this. The rulers and authorities of Rome and Israel... The best government and the highest religion the world had at that time ever known conspired to place Jesus on the cross. These powers, angry at his challenge to their sovereignty, stripped him naked, held Jesus up to public contempt, and celebrated a triumph over him. But Paul declares that on the cross, God was stripping them naked was holding them up to public contempt and leading them in his own triumphal procession in Christ, the crucified Messiah. The, the picture here is of, you know, in the days before, uh, pub, like cable news, how would you hear about a, a major military victory? Well, it wouldn't come through media. It would come through what they call a triumphal procession. And so say the armies of Rome had this big triumph. They would, after the battle was won, they would march their army back through the streets of Rome, carrying all the things, the the loot that they had taken from their defeated enemies and leading in their train a wake of stripped, humiliated, beaten enemies. And Paul is saying in the gospel of Christ, that's exactly what God is doing. He's not only paid the debt of our sin, but he's so utterly defeated our spiritual enemies that we don't need to worry about that anymore. We have freedom through Christ. All this God did to assure you and I that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from their hand. The oppressors have been completely conquered. Well, I want to ask you, have you come today with a burden of any kind? I know there are people in this room who are carrying a burden of grief, a burden of addiction, or just you come discouraged and you've been looking for a word of hope. I hope you've seen in this treasure of the gospel, that that's this, this freedom and fullness and fellowship we have in Christ is this great treasure and that despite anything and everything that is going on in our lives right now, as Paul said in another place, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously, along with him, give us all things? God is for us, God is with us. And so, the application point is this give thanks. Be overflowing with thanksgiving and with your mouth and with your lives. And so we do have a little bit of time. And I want to ask you, and this is going to be super embarrassing if this falls flat. After hearing about the incredible treasure of the gospel of grace that we have, will a few of you stand and give public gratitude to God for the gift of his grace in Christ Jesus to us? Who will go first? Who else?
1: speak one language and so this was a good country for me to move to God <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have that problem yeah. and uh, how amazing that he does
0: this for people from every tribe and language and people and nation Amen, yeah who else? <laughs> I forgot it. You know, I did say total it
1: lacked, and I'm sure. I actually
0: really love that analogy because Christ is the totality of what we need spiritually, and as I am growing in Christ, I am pulling one more supplement off the shelf. Hmm. One more. Yeah. Or two more. Sorry, I missed that. I'm that Jesus is in our stories. It's in our stories, yes. Yeah. Margaret, you want to be the last one? okay. Um, one of my favorite parts of that show, Pawn Stars, is when somebody comes in hoping to get rid of this, their little treasure for money. And then they realize what it's actually worth, and they now are unwilling to part with it. And they walk out (laughs) because they're so thankful for what they had. And friends, I hope we feel a little bit like that today, that we have the gospel of Christ, and that we wouldn't part with that for the world. And the proper response to God's grace, as we talked about earlier, is thanksgiving. And that's why this table is often called the Eucharist. It's the table of thanksgiving. And so we come and we, we take bread and, and we take wine and we remember the, the cross of Christ. That his body was broken for us. His blood was shed so that the debt's done with. The enemies have been conquered. If you know him, this table is for you. I want to invite you to come and, and confess your sins again and be reminded. Say with a smile, like it's paid. If you don't know him, this could be the day where you you come for the first time. It's a very simple thing. You say, Lord, I need you. I was dead. I am dead in my sins, and I need your life in me. And I give myself to you, all of myself that I know, just as you gave yourself fully to me. This table can be for you today. There's going to be prayer teams that are available. They're going to be just outside these doors, actually, so they can hear you better. If you want to pray, you can go over here or in the back. But let's be thankful and let's let this meal feed us so that we can not only give words of thanksgiving but live lives of thanksgiving. Come to the table.